Hello and welcome to Prickly Politics. This is WFUV's podcast on New York City and state politics. I'm your host, Julia Agos, and today we're talking about ranked choice voting in New York City. I'm joined for this episode again by my colleague, Natalie Migliori. We had so much fun working on the previous episode that we just wanted to collaborate again together. Thanks for having me, Julia. We really did have a good time. We had a good time. So earlier this month, New Yorkers went to the polls and voted to amend the city's charter to include ranked choice voting for a number of city elections. Right. So beginning in 2021, New Yorkers will have the option of using RCV as it's known. It applies to voting in primary and special elections for an array of positions, including mayor, public advocate, comptroller, borough presidents and city council. So ranked choice voting has been called the next wave of voting reform. Some people like presidential candidate Andrew Yang and Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez are very excited about it. But how does it work? RCV is also known as Instant runoff voting, and that's basically how it functions. Voters select up to five candidates, listing them in order of preference. So you put your favorite candidate at number one and your fifth favorite, if you have that many, at number five. If one candidate gets 50 percent or more of the number one vote, they win. If no one gets a majority, then the bottom candidate is eliminated and so on and so forth, which can be confusing. And that's one thing people are worried about. Right. So you vote, you, you list your candidates from preference. If your first favorite candidate comes in last, they are eliminated and your number one vote goes to your second choice candidate. And that is the nature of ranked choice voting, right? Exactly. RCV has been adopted in places like Maine, Minneapolis, and San Francisco. And in Maine, they decided to extend the method to presidential election voting next year. But New York City is by far the largest jurisdiction to adopt this method. And supporters say this would end runoff elections, which are costly and often have low voter turnout. Supporters also argue that ranked choice voting will increase voter participation because people feel like they have more options or that their vote will count more. But communities in opposition worry that interest groups or parties will game the system by inserting a candidate into the race. There's also a concern this method is confusing for voters and that communities will need to run significant education campaigns to ensure they're well informed. And the timing of the adoption of this method is interesting. Civic engagement is on the rise in New York City. We've seen rising number of candidates in primary races all over the five boroughs, including this year's special election for public advocate, which had 17 candidates. Supporters of RCV say that a method like this is one that caters to a wide field. And in 2021, 70% of the New York City Council is term limited, as well as Mayor Bill de Blasio, New York City Comptroller Scott Stringer, and all five of the borough presidents. And the city's campaign finance board expects up to 500 candidates could run for office. So RCV would really shake up that election cycle. There are differing opinions that land all over the board, and we invited a political scientist and people who represent both sides of the argument to talk with us. We invited Professor Boris Hearsink on the show to talk about the academic perspective on RCV. He's a political science professor at Fordham University, as well as a voting behavior researcher. 
So he's going to break down this method for us and explain what it might mean for the future of elections. So my first question is, how long has this method been a part of the political discussion and when did you see it pick up traction? So it's been around for a long time. Like this is something that people were talking about back in the 19th century as, as a way to think about. Um, Australia has used it since the early 20th century. So some countries have been using it for a long time. Uh, and the United States has really been picking up more over the last couple of years. So it seems like Democrats have been some of the most vocal supporters of this method, Mm -hmm. like AOC and Andrew Yang. Where are Republicans on this? Uh, Do you see this as somewhat of a partisan issue or? It's a little complicated. I mean, the New York version in particular is only about primaries and special elections. So it's it's not as uh, um, broad as the main version. Um, I think Republicans are a little more concerned that in some cases, the third party candidates that are running that might be uh, taking votes away from Democrats now and bringing it back to Democrats when you get to the second rounds and all that are hurting their candidates more. I don't know if that's necessarily always going to be true in every race. If this were applied across the entire country, I think there would be some cases where Democrats would be hurt by it, some cases where Republicans would be hurt by it. Uh, but right now, at least, uh, Democrats seem to like it more. So people talk about the spoiler effect Mm -hmm. where, you know, an unpopular candidate can win with 25 percent of the vote, maybe uh, solely because of his or her opponent split the rest. There's a similar issue with the open primary process. How does ranked choice voting address this problem? So the issue right now is, uh, and we saw this with the the special election for a uh, public advocate earlier in the year, we had, I think, 17 or 19 candidates. Uh, the person who won received a little bit more than 30 percent of the vote. Um, you see it in uh, primaries sometimes, or like in a mayoral cam- uh, campaign, you could have 10 candidates who all sort of get 20 percent, 25 percent of the vote. If the rule is simply um, whoever gets the most votes wins, you could have a situation where someone gets a very small part of the vote, but still gets the nomination or the office. Um, if the rule is you still need like 40% of the vote, that still means that you could win with uh, uh, far less than a majority of the vote. In, in the new system as it's going to be used, um, it's less easy for someone who's deeply unpopular with a majority of people uh, to, win the, uh, to win the race. Um, so you can't really be in a situation where if you are popular with 25% of the, the voting public and that's your base and that's the, the number of people who like you, then you can't win because you're not going to be ranked second by the other 75%. Um, and so in those cases where there is a spoiler effect, where there are multiple candidates running and they're dividing up the vote essentially against that one candidate, that no longer works. Yeah, I remember um, in San Diego, there was a primary a couple years ago, and they had two really popular Democrats and one really unpopular Republican, and it was an open primary. Mm-hmm. And there was this huge push for the Democrats to like get control of your party so that you're only running one candidate. But this would not be the case if they employed ranked choice voting, right? No. So the only way in a ranked choice system, if you get 50 percent of the vote or more, you win, but you would have won anyway. So that that's fine. If a candidate is not going to get 50 percent of the vote, it doesn't matter how many other candidates are running uh, and how they divide up this vote. As long as those candidates combined are not giving their second, uh, the voters for those candidates aren't giving their votes, uh, their second votes to the main candidate, essentially. Right. Um, So you could have, you know, in an open primary, you could have one Republican running and four Democrats running, uh, splitting up the Democratic vote. As long as that Republican isn't getting 50 percent of the vote and as long as the Democratic votes are all moving towards the other Democratic uh, candidates as 
you know, people get kicked out, you, you still will have a Democratic winner if they uh, represent the majority of the vote. That makes sense. Um, so the New York Times editorial board is really excited about this method. And they so they wrote, um, when voters are able to express their preferences more fully, they, are, they feel more connected to the political process. Um, so it's no surprise that turnout tends to go up where ranked choice voting is used. Um, what kind of indicators do researchers use to figure out if people are connecting with the process or if they're getting it? In general, it's true that probably voters like more choice. This particular change, as it is in New York, uh, will actually apply to sort of like drive more people to the polls. I'm not entirely sure. Um, so one issue is that you need to actually have a, a preference uh, to actually drive people to, to sort of go to the polls that otherwise wouldn't be going. Going back to the public advocate race, where we have like 17 people. Most voters have no idea who any of these people were. And so if you give them more choice between those people, you're, you know, you're Instead of voting for one person who you don't know, you're voting for four or five people you don't know. That that really isn't going to make it more appealing to voters. So the only way that it really will open it up is if there's a subset of voters who don't love, you know, the main candidates, who would like to participate but don't think right now there's a point to it. But by giving them the additional choice of ranking candidates uh, who aren't their first choice, uh, feel like they can actually participate but also aren't throwing away their vote, essentially. Supporters argue that ranked choice voting will force candidates to run more positive campaigns Mm -hmm. because they can't afford to go negative against opponents whose supporters might be inclined to list them second or third. Do you think that's accurate? I think there's definitely some truth to that in that, you know, in a lot of campaigns, maybe you're focusing on your base. You're trying to get the people who like you to turn out. Uh, and to sort of maximize how many of them turn out. And one way you can do that is by, you know, explaining to them how great you are. But sometimes you can also do that by explaining how terrible your opponents are. Um, There's also a subset of voters who maybe would consider ranking you second, who you aren't going to convince, you know, that they necessarily, you know, you're never going to be their first choice, but you might be their second choice or a third choice. In a ranked choice voting system, you might want to sort of run a campaign that's more friendly and more open and more aiming uh, to sort of convince them to also give you a shot. Uh, and so maybe you're going to be you know, running a more positive campaign. Uh, maybe you're going to try to appeal to broader uh, voting groups by talking about more issues. Um, so in that sense, it could be positive. Okay. So then this, I guess, is the ultimate question, which is, do you think this method is too complicated for voters? <laughs> so there's one risk there, right, which is that it, voters have to figure out how it works. And based on the experience we've had so far with, with Maine and with other cities across and with cities across the U.S., um, voters do seem to be able to figure it out. It's not entirely rocket science. So, like, you know, it seems to work. Uh, but there is a risk that once it gets really deep into this kind of game theory, you know, playing out of like who are all the third party candidates and how those voting for this person and then ranking this person second and this person third and this. There is a risk that it sort of becomes almost impossible to figure out what the consequences are of your different choices. New York City is the largest jurisdiction in the country to adopt this method. What do you think the future of ranked choice voting is? Do you think it'll spread or do you think it'll kind of maintain itself in metropolitan cities? I think it has the potential to spread further. Um, there is clear potential issues with it in terms of like the lack of clarity, the potential that it, the, the, the count might be complicated, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the general uh, argument that ranked choice voting uh, gives people more choice and more freedom, that's very appealing. Um, and particularly because 
in a two-party system where a lot of people aren't that fond of either party, um, just the possibility of getting, you know, some more options, not being stuck with just, you know, the Democratic candidate, the Republican candidate, that's something that's kind of uh, exciting. Um, and so you could see a situation where potentially if New York does this for a while and then expands it to general elections uh, at the, at the uh, city level, that that could be something that, you know, could keep this sort of experiment moving um, across other jurisdictions. Cool. I well, think you did a great job. Thanks Thank for coming you. down to studio. And um, yeah, for joining it's us. a really good jumping off point for us, I think. Sure. Yeah. Happy to help. Thank you. Thank you. And next, we talked to city councilman I. Danique Miller. He was on the phone because he was in transit. He's the co-chair of the Black Latino Asian Caucus and has voiced his concern over ranked choice voting as something that might reverse the progress minorities have made. He wrote a number of op-eds ahead of the vote. In the Queens Daily Eagle, he wrote, it's unclear who truly will gain from the new process, but he says it's clear who loses, immigrants and communities of color. So you wrote a few op-eds about what ranked choice voting would mean before the election. So what are your biggest concerns about the system? Well, my, my biggest concern is that it will undermine what we have been able to establish in communities of color throughout the city, that there was a, dis, a misnomer um, that this ranked choice voting was going to benefit communities of color. Fact of the matter is that there are communities of color that have learned to not necessarily master, but but to have become empowered um, through the utilization of their voice um, as a political tool. Communities such as Southeast Queens, uh, Western uh, uh, Brooklyn, and, and areas of the Bronx, and obviously Harlem have, have done very well over the years, and and so what we are seeing now is uh, potentially uh, a diminishment uh, of that uh, political empowerment that has been established. Aside from the fact that um, this remains so absolutely confusing to so many folks, you know, we, we, we have a real concern about democracy when it comes to community of color. Um, I think one thing we have mastered is to have our voice heard our, our vote, at least here in New York City. So, sir, is it fair to characterize your position as, you know, we have an electoral system that works and it works for, as you see it, communities of color and immigrants. So why would we change it? Is that fair? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the, this measure passed in New York City by almost three quarters of a vote. So where do you think the disconnect is between your position and your argument and the rest of the electorate that overwhelmingly voted in favor of this method? Clearly, this was very strategic as to when it made the, the charter revision, how it got on the ballot, when it got on the ballot. This is obviously we all knew in advance that this was going to be the lowest voters turnout that we saw in this four-year cycle. I absolutely disagree that it was a majority because within the election cycle, there is there was no real citywide races that was going to happen under normal conditions. There are no statewide races that are happening under normal conditions in this election. This, in a four-year cycle, is the lowest, normally the lowest turnout that we're going to see. 
And so it wasn't by accident that if you are able to organize, galvanize GOTV amongst your base, then you have a, a, a real chance of being successful, considering that the other bases have no real reason to come out. So now that people have voted in favor of ranked choice voting, what do you see as the next move? Well, it is, you know, imagine going into senior centers and it's for just imagine going home and explaining to your, your parents and, and your grandparents what ranked choice voting is. Um, how, how That's the next campaign, obviously, so that we don't further diminish that voice that we have fought and, and died so, so, so hard and so long for, um, that, that rich legacy that uh, so many have sacrificed for, that, quite frankly, it, it has been diminished. And, but in order for it not to happen, that we don't see the full manifestation of the intent come to fruition, is that we have to educate the community. But here lies the problem. Obviously, the numbers have already shown that those who are less educated and have less access to IT are going to be less apt to participate in the total process, right? Which means that they'll stop at one, and that's a problem. Right, and how do you educate people on five candidates, and and whether or not people even know five people in the district, or throughout the city, or want to support those things? It is it is going to be very difficult if you don't already have a base and a mechanism in place that supports ranked choice voting. Clearly, the folks that want it already do. They have this social media presence that has uh, been at the forefront of this, which will certainly transcend right into the next level of the actual vote, right? So conversely, communities that don't have access, uh, older New Yorkers and, uh, and, and poorer New Yorkers that don't have the same access clearly are at a, at a disadvantage. All right. Well, thank you, City Councilman, so much for coming on the show and for speaking with us about this issue. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Have a good day. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. And finally, we had Josh Silver on the show. He's the CEO and co-founder of Represent Us, which is a national organization working to spread ranked choice voting around the country. He says voters are tired of being forced to choose between the lesser of two evils with our current system. And he says ranked choice voting offers a solution. Great. And so obviously we want to talk about ranked choice voting particularly. So why does it seem like one party, maybe Democrats, are more vocal about this method of ranked choice voting? Well, here's the thing about democracy reforms like ranked choice voting. In general, whichever political party is in power, in general, is opposed to major changes in the current system. So we have seen it across the country that when we're working in blue states controlled by Democrats, they kind of want like nothing of campaign finance and ethics reform, even if they say they're in favor of it. Once the rubber hits the road, they're not. Republicans uh, tend to oppose reform. 
in purple and red states and are surprisingly supportive of transformative major reforms in states where they have no power. Um, in New York City, I think what we saw was that, you know, the, the, the folks who came out in support of, of ranked choice voting recognized that this is a reform that does nothing but good for the city of New York. I mean, it increases the, uh, the voters' choices and, and voices in that. It makes it so you're no longer picking the lesser of two evil. Your voters are no longer worrying about playing the spoiler effect by voting who for, for the person that they really care about. They recognize that ranked choice voting would enable qualified candidates who – uh, otherwise, before ranked choice voting would have felt like they were going to get blocked by sort of the anointed candidates that the parties or the political apparatchiks had chosen, that this is a pathway to get their foot in the door and get elected. And they recognized that the, that the voters wanted this. They saw that it was politically pragmatic because this reform is so popular. Over 80 percent of people in uh, in the borough of Manhattan supported it. 73.5% of New York voters across the city supported it. It was it's incredibly popular stuff. And the people of uh, women of color winning office in ranked choice voting system uh, that increases by about nine percentage points compared to non-ranked choice voting. It is a demonstrated track record of working. So a few moments ago, you just you threw out a bunch of statistics about how ranked choice voting increases diversity um, among elected elected officials. But we spoke with I. Danique Miller. He's a city councilman in New York City. And his argument against ranked choice voting is that we already have a system that works in New York City. Um, he says that, you know, the majority of New York City residents are people of color and immigrants. And he says that as a result, our elected officials represent us. And ranked choice voting is a system that is used in predominantly white communities. And, um, you know, his hesitation is why fix a system that is already working for New York City? So I'm wondering what your response is to his perspective. My response is what planet are you on? Let's look at Oakland, California, where they've been using ranked choice voting since 2008. Right now in that city council, you've got 15 white council members, 13 are black, seven are Hispanic, eight are Asian Pacific Islander, and one is Native American. So you have 44 and only 15 of them are white. And what you saw is that you saw increases of um, the, the, the white, the number of, of white uh, members of the council went down from 43% to 34% in the 10 years after ranked choice voting was passed. You saw the, num- the percentage of black council members went up to nearly 30% from 24%. It went up to 15, uh, excuse me, 16% from 10%. It went up uh, from zero to 2.3% of Native Americans. So across the board, minority representation goes up demonstrably in other cities. And I also wonder, anybody who's saying that the current system works is completely uh, not reading any polls about how voters feel about the state of American politics. I mean, American politics are gripped by dysfunction, gridlock, extremism, polarization. The most basic issues are not advancing. We see this interseen war like a soft civil war between Democrats and Republicans. It is not natural. It's not happenstance. It's because our voting systems, our ethics, our campaign finance systems are deeply broken, and ranked choice voting is part of the solution set that fixes it. So New York City has 
claim to be a leader. They want to be a leader in that in RCV. But do you hope that this will one day be used at the national level? Absolutely. I mean, the goal here is we do not hide from our aspirations. Our aspirations is that cities and states across America recognize that Washington, D.C. is hopelessly gridlocked and dysfunctional today in 2019, take matters into their own hands as voters did in New York City on November 5th, and create the kind of representative system that will actually ensure that every voter has a real voice in American politics. So this goal is for sure that, that New York City plays a role as being the tip of the spear for creating that kind of system. And we are so excited. Our members, we have 900,000 of them across the country, were jumping for joy over the result in New York City. Obviously, New York City was a huge win for this method. What uh, sites do you guys have your set on next? What is the next push um, for this movement? Well, there's a bunch of places around the country where we're seeing exciting activity. Ranked choice voting is likely going to be on the ballot in Massachusetts uh, uh, for statewide. We're looking at uh, anti-gerrymandering laws that are in play in New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, uh, Virginia, possibly in Missouri to make a federal version of anti-gerrymandering laws uh, that they passed statewide recently. We might see uh, anti-gerrymandering laws in a handful of other uh, states as well. Also looking at ranked choice voting possibly in Alaska. Uh, It's going to probably pass in several cities in Utah in the next year or two. So uh, we'll see more and more cities and states joining New York City in the coming years. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. You bet. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Have a great day. The takeaway here is that no one really knows how ranked choice voting will impact how democracy works. We have two very different sides painting two very different pictures for voters. One side says ranked choice voting can only help, while another side says it will harm the most vulnerable communities. Once again, there are no answers until we actually see the way it plays out. Right, so we're just going to have to wait and see. But regardless, New York City adopting this method is meaningful. This is the biggest jurisdiction to adopt this method. And people look to New York City as a testing ground for methods that could be adopted across the country. So that's our show. If you liked today's episode, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and rate us. That'll help other listeners find our podcast. And follow us on Twitter at Prickly Podcast to stay up to date in between episodes. A special thanks to our Prickly team, Maddie Bristow, and my guest co-host, Natalie Migliori, and our editors, George Bodarki and Robin Shannon. Thanks for listening.